I told the people in first service that I wish Steve had given me warning he was going to mention Dan Anders, because Dan was a very special person in my life, too. And if he had warned me or told me ahead of time, I would have worn my cufflinks Dan gave me. Dan, Dan and I were a, uh, a part of a very exclusive club of cufflink wearers. And uh, some of y'all maybe one day will be admitted into that. I don't know. But anyway, uh, Dan moved to Tyler where I was uh, working with the church there and uh, was diagnosed with a terminal illness and spent the last year or so of his life working with us on staff there. And when he got to the point that he really couldn't get out and couldn't dress up anymore, he gave me his favorite pair of cufflinks. And they're James Avery Ichthus uh, fish cufflinks, and I wear them often and always feel the spirit when I do. Uh, but um, I just wanted to echo that you, know, you, you come across people like that in church that mean a lot to you and continue to uh, throughout your years. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a passage out of Luke during the ministry of Jesus. It's somewhat familiar, I think. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, the Gospel, the words of our Savior Jesus. Jesus is teaching a crowd of people. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. May God bless the reading of his word. A few years ago, a friend of mine and I were sitting in the church office, actually the reception area of the church office, visiting. And we were able to look out and see the parking lot. And as we were visiting, it caught our eye that there was a young man making his way through the parking lot and toward our building. And what was really unusual was the way he was walking. It was obvious that that uh, he was debating on whether he wanted to come in or not. He would walk toward the building, and then he would stop and kind of look around nervously. And, and we were thinking, well, I don't know what's going on. We kind of looked to see if he had a weapon or anything, you know. And they did have some papers in his hand. But he finally made his way up to the door. And when he got to the door, he grabbed the door, stopped, and you could t- tell he just took a really deep breath, just... <sighs> opened the door and came in. Well, we stood up and greeted him, welcomed him, and I held my hand out, told him, I'm Tommy, and he didn't shake my hand. Rather, he took one of those papers and stuffed a brochure in my hand. So I thought, okay, and looked down at it, and he said, my wife told me to bring this to you. 
I thought, ooh, okay, must be important then. So I looked at it, and it was advertising some kind of benefit concert to help someone with surgery or, or some good cause that a group had gotten together and was trying to raise some money for something. I can't really remember the details. And uh, anyway, the young man continued. He said, my wife volunteered to pass these out, but she got sick, and so I'm doing it for her. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. And, and uh, he said, my wife told me that it would be good to take these to churches. I said, well, I can understand that. Well, he was standing there. He was red in the face. He was sweating. Uh, it's obvious, you know, that he's very ill at ease. And so I thought, well, you know, so I started looking at it and asking him some questions, trying to put him more, make him more comfortable. And every time I asked him a question, he'd say, I don't know. You'll have to call my wife and ask her that question. So finally, I decided the only merciful and gracious thing to do was to let him leave. And so I said, well, listen, I thank you for bringing this by, and we'll see what we can do to round up some support and so forth. And he said, okay. So he walks toward the door, and as he's about to open the door and leave, he stops and turns around and says, are you the preacher here? And I said, yes, I am. (sighs) Another deep breath. He said, well, I just need to tell you that my wife and I aren't really married, but we're going to get married. I said, well, good. <laughs> I remembered that, that why he felt moved to make that confession at that time. And I think of that story sometimes when I read this story in Scripture, because in this story, a man opens his mouth and says something, thinking he's doing one thing, but what he's really doing is making a confession. Now, the situation is this. If we back up to the first part of Luke chapter 12, we see that Jesus is addressing a crowd of thousands. In fact, it's more of a mob scene. For one thing, not all the people there were friendly people to Jesus. Some of those people there were there trying to catch him and find some charges to bring against him. But the other problem was there were just so many people, and Scripture says they were even trampling on each other. So it's kind of a wild and crazy thing going on there. And in the midst of all that chaos... Jesus begins talking to the people who at least could hear him around him. And what he started talking to them about was fear and worry and life and death. And he gave them some very practical advice. You know, Jesus spoke many times in very theological terms, especially if we read his conversations out of the book of John And some of the things that Jesus talked about were deeply spiritual and so forth. But oftentimes, Jesus just gave us good advice, good practical advice about life and how to live. And in this instance, what he is telling the people is this. Don't live your life being afraid to die. Don't take up your whole life worrying about when you're going to die. And then he went on to tell them how much God cared for them. And as an example of God's care, he brought up the sparrow. 
Earlier this week, I was sitting in Ireland Jenkins' room. Do any of y'all remember Ireland? She hasn't been able to worship with us for some time. She's under hospice care now out at Baptist Memorial. Loves guests, so if you ever have a chance to go out there and see her, she would love to visit with you. Well, I was sitting there, and, and, and I was sitting right beside the window, and right outside her window, she has a bird feeder. And uh, I was asking her what kind of birds come up to her bird feeder, and she said, bluebirds, cardinals. And I said, oh, they're so pretty. But as we looked out that day, it was full of sparrows, <laughs> you know. And bless their hearts, they're just not cute birds, are they? They're not pretty birds. And they were just all over that bird feeder. And I was thinking of this passage because I'd been reading it and preparing for this morning and thought, you know, God cares about those little ugly brown birds. In fact, as Jesus says that if you wanted to buy some, I don't know why you would, but if you wanted to buy some sparrows back in that time, you could get five of them for two cents. So they weren't very valuable. And we don't think them very valuable. He says, but God does. God cares about each one of those sparrows And if he cares that much about each one of the sparrows, just think how much he cares about you. Think how valuable you are. You, his crowning of creation. You, made in his own image. He said he cares so much about you that he could tell you right now how many hairs you have on the top of your head. Not hard for me and some of the rest of you guys out there, but... You know, some of you ladies that have a full hairs, you know, full head of hair, he can tell you, right, how many hairs. That's, that's how much attention he gives to you and how aware he is of your existence and your daily life and each breath that you take. So these are the things that Jesus is talking about to the crowd. And all of a sudden, a man, an anonymous person, interrupts, blurts out, this strange, seemingly irrelevant demand. He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now, the only reason I think that I can figure out why that would come up is, number one, he had just come there to ask that question and wasn't listening to what Jesus was saying at all. Or two, when Jesus was talking about this fear and this worry, It really triggered this, and he realized that he was a man tied up in knots. Over the family inheritance, many of you have been through family inheritance situations, and you know that even in the best of situations, there can be little tricky turns and and dealing with family and settling all the affairs. And when a family doesn't have a lot of love in it, and then the family is not real close, it can get kind of ugly. And obviously, that's what's happened here. The older brother is in charge of dividing up the family inheritance, and evidently, this younger brother is not thinking he's doing it right, or he hasn't done it at all. And so he demands to Jesus that he do something about it. However, even though he thinks he's making a request or a demand, what he's really doing is making a confession. Jesus says to him, number one, I'm not a judge or an arbiter. That's not my job to settle legal disputes like this. 
You need to go and find the right person to tell this to. And number two, I want to tell you something, that you have a problem. You are suffering from a condition known as pleonexia. Now, I don't know if you're aware of what that condition is, but it's one that is really very difficult and very deadly. It was rampant during the time of Jesus. And as we continue to read through the New Testament, it comes up a lot. It's mentioned oftentimes in Scripture all through the first century there. And I hate to tell you, but it's also at an epidemic stage here in San Angelo and Texas and the United States as well. It's a condition that's very difficult to diagnose. It's especially difficult to self-diagnose. But it's dangerous and it's deadly. It can take away every bit of your life. So if you'll hang with me in a moment, I'm going to give you a good test to see if you have pleonexia. Pleonexia is a Greek word, actually two Greek words put together, and almost every illness and condition we have that we describe is a Greek word. Uh, pneumonia, that's a Greek word. Diabetes is the combination of Greek words. Anemia, cholesterol, diarrhea. All of those are Greek terms that describe what the ailment is. And so you guys have been speaking a lot of Greek and didn't even know it. Well, pleonexia is one of those words, and it's in our text. And it comes from two different words, and one of the words means to have, to own, to possess. And the second word is more. Pleonexia is the condition of being dissatisfied with our lives, thinking that in order to find satisfaction in life, we must have more of something. Now, usually this word in Scripture is translated greed. That's the way it was translated in our NIV that I read of of just a moment ago. The only problem with that, I think, is that when we think of greed, we think of money. And truly, greed is, and pleonexia, can be related to our desire of having money. But you notice in the passage that Jesus warned people to watch out Be careful, be looking out for all kinds of pleonexia or greed. It comes in a lot of different forms. There can be a lot of things that we put our lives on hold for until we get more of something. And you can diagnose whether or not you're suffering from this by simply completing this statement. I will really begin to enjoy my life when? When is that? What is it going to take? What do you need more of? More money? More time? More education? 
more freedom? What is it that you are kind of just working your way through life for until finally you're going to get more of something and then it's going to be good? Then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll be happy. Now, to emphasize this point, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a rich farmer. And notice at the very beginning of the story, the guy is rich. It's not like he's one of these guys out scraping a living out of the dirt and living from hand to mouth and week to week or year to... You know, he's, he's a rich man. And yet he's just waiting for that one crop that will put him over the top. You know? He's just working and waiting until the time whenever he finally gets that bumper crop. Then everything will be good. And it comes along. There it is. One year he goes out and he plants, and when he goes out and he harvests it, it is just, he's just got more than he knows what to do with. And at first, that, that's a problem. He can't figure out what to do with all of this. And then he comes up with a plan. He says, it's here. What I've worked for all my life, now I can be happy. I'll build these big storage bins and I'll put it all up. And man, I can just sit back and do what I've always wanted to do. Now, it's true that his plans are very selfish. But that's really not the point of this story if we keep reading it. Because just that very night that he's finally figured it out, And after he experiences a good life for 30 minutes or two hours, God comes to him and says, you know what you didn't count on, don't you? You're dying tonight. Now, don't read that, that God is mad at him and going to punish him. doesn't say that. It doesn't say that God said, I'll teach this selfish man a lesson. He just said, tonight's the night you die. And the sad thing is, you lived your whole life waiting to live. It's over. You were waiting until you had more to really start living. So Jesus gives us practical advice. Don't live your life waiting to die. Don't live your life waiting to live. Don't let your life pass you by because you can't enjoy it because you don't have enough of something. Now, I want to look at the end of this passage because as he talks, he really starts pointing us to the direction he wants us to go. He says, talking about the man, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves. This is what happens to people who keep putting off life waiting for ha- to have more, but are not rich toward God. And there he begins talking then as he turns to his disciples and said, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't be caught up with what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all these things. Life is more than that. And as he works his way on through the very familiar passage that you know, and he talks about, look at the birds. The birds enjoy life. They're not just sitting there saying, okay, we're going to make it through today and then maybe tomorrow will be better. And then we, you know, look at the lilies of the field. God, he says, what we're all about is this. 
to live each day of our lives seeking the kingdom of God. And God will give us what we need for life. God will give us life indeed. As I read that, I'm mindful of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, where he's talking to God and he says, you know, I want these people to live. I want them to experience life. I want them to experience eternal life. And eternal life is this, to know God. Jesus hates to see us waste our lives on trivial things. He hates to see us especially waste our lives away as we wait for life to begin. Because he says life begins whenever we begin our relationship with our Father. And no matter what comes along in our lives, we walk that life experiencing life, appreciating life, living life, because we have a Father who lives it with us and loves us and values us. Take the test. When is life going to begin for you? I pray that many of you passed that with flying colors. You said, my life is good because I have a Father who is God and a big brother named Jesus, and I can make it through any difficulty And each breath I take is valued because my purpose is found within the kingdom of God. If you can't pass that test, and if you realize that you're just kind of working your way through life, waiting for something else to happen, listen to Jesus. Let him turn your eyes toward the Lord and his kingdom. Let's stand and sing.